We just uh, thank you already for this morning, God. We thank you for uh, who you are and your goodness to us, that you invite us uh, into relationship, uh, God, that you invite us into your family, uh, but that, God, you invite us to uh, the greater family of believers that we can fellowship with one another. So, God, we thank you for a community of fellow believers of like-mindedness in your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you that You've given us your word, uh, that we can know you deeper, and that we can grow in you. And so, God, would you just guide our time here this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In his uh, book, Slaying the Giants, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote a story about a woman named Linda. For Linda, life has too often been another word for goodbye. Linda was raised in a farmhouse during hard times. Uh, The Great Depression years, poverty, polio, dust storms, tornadoes, um, crop failures, those were all things that were a backdrop of her childhood. A German battlefield took her brother and cancer took her mother. Early on, Linda learned all that there was to know about goodbye. The prospect of marriage, however, brought hope of fresh beginnings. Linda and Richard, the boy that she met in a white frame country church, began a new life together. But that too was interrupted when the Korean conflict hit the headlines. Linda said her goodbye as her new husband left for service and the loneliness returned. She said goodbye to her father and her father-in-law who died, a brother and sister-in-law who were tragically murdered. Richard came home. Maybe life would be finally filled with joy and a family. But instead, what followed were years of frustration trying to conceive children. The couple found the vacant nest to be a lonely place. That period, too, came to an end. And eventually there were children. At first, she found contentment. But Linda discovered that the simple presence of offspring brought no guarantee of happiness. As they grew, the kids made poor choices that broke their parents' hearts. Decisions leading to unwed pregnancies, divorces, custody battles, alcoholism, and imprisonment. She missed the little children that she once nestled close She felt lonelier than ever as the years advanced. She and Richard held one another close. And then Richard began to weaken. He was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. How does Linda find strength for this? How does she find strength for what would be her most painful goodbye of all. This morning, I want to sort of encourage and look with you and to think with you about that for our own lives. Many of us, because it's part of the human condition, deal with different seasons and different times, different periods, different levels of loneliness. And so how do we, can, how do we find strength in the midst of our loneliness? How do we find hope in the midst of loneliness. I wonder if we're being honest with ourselves, if we ever feel like 
life is a little bit like a never-ending thief, the taker of joys and promises, one who steals our hopes and dreams, a demon of darkness that rips away all that seems pure and good, and we are left in emptiness and void. Because what we all know to be true is that the feeling of loneliness has nothing to do with being around people or not. You can feel very alone even in a room like this. And my guess is that there are some who walked in these doors this morning and you feel a component of loneliness in your life. And maybe it's not that you don't have people in your life, although that could be at the core of it. But it is something that is deeper, that is harder, that is in many ways more brutal. We can feel alone in our world. We can feel alone in our workplace. We can feel alone in our schools. In fact, we can feel alone in our marriages and in our friendships. We can even feel alone in our church. And certainly, we can feel alone in our troubles and in our circumstances. And so what do we do with this loneliness? This morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 14 again. And we're going to continue on in looking at uh, this conversation that is happening between Jesus and his disciples as he is nearing his own death, his crucifixion. In these last hours and days with his disciples, he is seeking to provide comfort. And if you remember back to previous chapters and sections of John that we've looked at, he's emphasizing his love for his disciples, that he is going to love them to the very end, to the depths of their greatest needs, that is where he's going to love them too. But he also recognized that their hearts are troubled. And so he's trying to give them some confidence. He's trying to give them some encouragement. And he's talking about never leaving them and never forsaking them. That he's always going to be with them in the first part of chapter 14. And so in this next section, beginning in verse 15, he really begins to develop this even more. I'm really thankful for the series that Pastor Paul is going through in 1 John. Because Pastor Paul has been talking about and emphasizing the importance of God's love for us and our obedience to Christ. And that these things are the certainty of our salvation. They, they bring the certainty, the confidence, the assurance of knowing that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It, it is our love for God. It is our obedience to God that is a demonstration of that assurance. It's this idea of walking in fellowship with Christ abiding with him, remaining in him. I think that in a lot of ways, 1 John is an expanded commentary, if you will. It's a deeper unpacking of these three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, that we're going to be looking at as we continue on through John. And, and it's almost like these concepts and ideas that John talked about or really was taught by Jesus in these chapters were concepts that then John took to the book of 1 John and began to expand and to open wide. And so this morning as we look at this, I hope that you will see a lot of overlap and meshing with some of the things that have been shared by Pastor Paul. And you will continue that as we continue back in 1 John next week. 
But Jesus knows that he's leaving. And he's telling the disciples that, you know what? I'm going to go, but you're not going to be alone. You're not going to have to just live in this loneliness. And, and so in this passage, he really gives us three truths of comfort for us in our loneliness. The disciples' circumstances specifically were the, the physical body of Jesus was going to be crucified, that he was going to be raised again, and he would ascend into heaven, and that he would depart them. But for you and I, our struggles, our difficulties, the, the things that we deal with in terms of the loneliness that we can feel, they are more specific to our own lives, more sort of emotional and personal and real in our own circumstances. And these truths that provide comfort for our loneliness are just as relevant and just as true for us as they were for the disciples in their own situation. And so we want to look at these things together. There are three comforts that I want to share with you. Don't be too concerned. It's heavy on the top end, light on the back end. Uh, so, you know, time will, time will get us there. So, the first, yes, there is notes in the bulletin. Thank you, Pastor Paul. If you'd like to follow along, you are welcome to do that if you want to make a paper airplane. I think I said that last time. So, um, so first is this. First thing that we'll see here is that there is a promise that's given. So in order for Jesus to provide comfort, right, for the, the disciples, for their loneliness, he gives them the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm clicking along here. Hey, nope, I went too far. Okay, that's how it goes. The promise of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles again, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, right away, that should sound really familiar to some of the things that we've seen in 1 John. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience, keeping God's commandments, is a response of our love for the Lord. It is not a condition, right? It's not that we keep his commandments and then we have the love of God, but it is that it is out of our love for God that we keep his commandments. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so this very beginning of this conversation is a little bit of what we looked at last time. That he's, he's talking about that his presence will never leave them. That, that it, the person that they see is the person that is going to be in them. That this spirit that is being sent is the spirit of Christ. It is literally the spirit of God. And he is going to send another helper. The, the word here is paraclete. It's this idea of advocate. It's the same word that's used in 1 John to talk about Jesus. But here it's being used to talk about another advocate, another paraclete, which is the helper, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be given to those who love God. And what's interesting about this is that it says that the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You'll remember in 1 John that it says these are the things that we have seen, the things that we have heard, the things that we've held as the apostles were living in the presence of Jesus. 
But here John is hearing Jesus explain that not everybody will be able to see it because it's only for those that know him. It's only for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who have trusted him for the forgiveness of their own sins and have received him as their Lord and Savior and received his gift of eternal life. It is the promise of the Holy Spirit that brings comfort in the midst of our loneliness because it is Christ in us that never leaves, that never forsakes. Well, let me sort of walk through some specifics about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is actually going to unpack this in the next couple of chapters. And so we're not going to get into all the different aspects of the Holy Spirit. We're going to kind of walk this out as we explore the next three chapters. But let me just sort of start by identifying and understanding who is the Holy Spirit. And and what is his role? And we'll look a little bit later more deeply at the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But let me just sort of acknowledge a couple of key elements to who the Holy Spirit is. One, the Holy Spirit is God, right? The Holy Spirit is not some Jiminy Cricket figure that sits on our shoulders or some subconscious voice that just sort of gives commentary to our lives. The Holy Spirit is directly connected to Jesus and the Father. He says, for you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John chapter 6, verse 63, it says that it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So the words that Jesus are speaking are spirit and life. The Spirit is the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus in us. It is God in us. And so while we think about Jesus being God with us, the Spirit of God is God in us. The Holy Spirit has divine attributes. He is God because he is divine in his nature. Let me just share a few of these with you. Uh, He is eternal. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says that Christ offered himself without blemish to God through an eternal spirit. He is omnipresent. It means he's everywhere. Psalm 139 teaches us that the spirit is everywhere present, that there is no place that we can hide from him. The spirit is omnipotent. He is all powerful. Romans chapter 15 verse 19. He reminds, reminds us that the Holy Spirit. Searches everything and knows. Even the depths of the mind of God. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians. It talks about that for us to be able to know. And to understand the deep things of God. It requires the activity of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3 verse 8. He is sovereign. Jesus explained that the Spirit blows where he wills, giving new new birth to God's chosen. The Spirit moves where he wants. He is divine in his nature. He is God. One author explained his works this way. The deity of the Holy Spirit ought to be clearly recognized in Scripture. Look at these facts. Christ is born. The Spirit is his forerunner. Christ is baptized, the Spirit bears witness. Christ is tempted, the Spirit leads him up. Christ ascends, the Spirit takes his place. What great things are there in the character of God which are not found in his power? What titles which belong to God are not applied to him except only unbegotten and begotten? He is called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ, 
The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of truth, the spirit of liberty, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of godliness, and the spirit of the fear of God. This only begins to show how unlimited the spirit is. The God is not, the Holy Spirit is not just this voice that is in us, but it is God in us. But it is more than that, right? It's not just that the Holy Spirit is God, which is, which is fine, right? That he is, he is God in the sense of his, uh, his, his divine nature, his, his attributes, but that he is relatable to us. He, he has a personhood that the Holy Spirit is also a person. It, it, it is one person of the Godhead, of the Trinity, let me share with you a few passages about this. Again, we're not going to necessarily dive real deep into this this morning. But how do we know that the Holy Spirit, beyond just being God, but that he is person, beyond just having divine attributes, that he is an actual person? Well, there's a lot of different passages. You can kind of peruse through this list if I can pull it up here. And we'll see. Uh, but take a look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He knows and he understands. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he gives gifts and abilities. These are person traits, right? Romans chapter 15, he has the power to accomplish his desires. Acts chapter 13, he speaks. That is a person trait, right? 1 Peter 1 verse 11, he reveals truth and prophesies about the future. John chapter 16 verse 13, he guides. We'll look at that a little bit later. Acts chapter 9 verse 31, he comforts. 1 Timothy 4, 1, he warns. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, he grieves over sin. Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he can be resisted. In Acts chapter 5, he can be lied to. And in Matthew chapter 12, he can be blasphemed. He is not just God, but he is a person of God. He has a person nature along with his divine nature. Does that... Sound familiar? Jesus had a person nature and a divine nature. They are one. Three distinct uh, persons, one God. The Bible describes the Spirit as a person who is God, yet distinct from the Father and Son. The church has really, from uh, her earliest days, called this teaching Trinitarianism, or the doctrine of the Trinity. One living and true God infinite, eternal, and unchanging in his being, in his wisdom, in his power, in his holiness, and justice, goodness, and truth, and existing in three persons forever. And so we say, uh, to him belongs all glory and honor and praise. Amen. So I would guess while you know you have sort of oneness Pentecostalism and things like that that don't really hold to a Trinitarian perspective, that most of us that have gathered here this morning would probably sign on with this. We would acknowledge the reality of the living Holy Spirit. We would acknowledge that he is God. We would acknowledge that he is a person, that he is part of the triune Godhead, right? We would acknowledge these things. But so why why does this matter? Why does this promise of the Holy Spirit matter that we have this God, the Holy Spirit, in us? What matters? Because the Holy Spirit brings power. 
It's the Holy Spirit that empowers our Christian life. The Holy Spirit shines light on the truth of Jesus Christ. In other words, get this, the role of the Holy Spirit is significant because it is what empowers our lives. The role of the Holy Spirit is not to point to himself or to look to himself, but the role of the Holy Spirit is to cast light on the truth of Jesus Christ. And the, the, real, the real role of the Holy Spirit is to bring focus and attention to truth. That's what the role of the Holy Spirit is, to bring focus and attention to truth. But who is truth? Jesus is truth. It's not just that Jesus said things that were true. It's not just that he taught things that were true. It's not just that he did things that are true, but it is that Jesus is truth. And so when the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to cast light on truth, to expose and to focus on truth, it is to focus on Jesus. Maybe just as an aside, I think sometimes in our culture, we get so nervous about offending people about the name of Jesus that we think that we can sort of skirt the person of Jesus and just deal with these principles of truth. But the reality, and there's a place and time for that, but right, the reality is, is that we cannot address truth. We cannot fully state truth without acknowledging the person of Jesus Christ. Because it is not that Jesus was somebody who engaged in truth. It is because Jesus is truth. And we cannot talk about truth. We cannot promote truth without ultimately promoting Jesus Christ. It is a truth that has inherent value. It is a truth that will protect us. It's a truth that will humble the pride of mankind. And sometimes... You know, there's this thought that we can just sort of take in truth and, and that's sort of good enough. I like A.W. AD, AD, Tozer. Uh, he said it this way. He said, religious instruction, however sound, is not enough by itself. It brings light, but it cannot impart sight. The assumption that light and sight are synonymous has brought spiritual tragedy to millions. The Pharisees looked straight at the light of the world for three years, but not one ray of light reached their inner beings. Light is not enough. The inward operation of the Holy Spirit is necessary to saving faith. The gospel is light, but only the Spirit can give sight. See, here's what we're saying is that the, the role of the Holy Spirit is to expose light on the truth, which is Jesus Christ. But it's not just the truth in its essence as it stands on itself, but it is the depth of meaning and application as it is given to our lives. It means that the Holy Spirit not only puts light onto Jesus, casts light onto Jesus, but the Holy Spirit gives sight. He's the one that gives us understanding. It's not how good your pastor is. It's not how good the Bible study teacher is. It's not how good the book that you read is. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that sheds light and gives sight on the truth that is Jesus Christ. What is it the Holy Spirit is highlighting? Let me share with you just quickly, hopefully, five sort of specific things. There's way more than that, but let me just share with you five specific things that the Holy Spirit is seeking to give light and sight to. And, and this matters big time, and we'll see this at the back end of the passage. The first is that he is seeking to give light and sight to an awareness of God's love. 
that we can know and receive the love of God, that we can understand the dramatic sacrifice that has been made for us. J.I. Packer said this, he said, I remember walking into a church one winter evening to preach on the words, he will glorify me from John 16. Seeing the building floodlit as I turned the corner and realizing this was exactly the illustration that my message needed. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are placed so that you do not see them. In fact, you are not supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you can see it properly. This perfectly illustrated the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Or think of it this way. It is as if... As it is, as if the Spirit is standing behind us, throwing light over our shoulder onto Jesus who stands facing us. The Spirit's message is never for us to look at Him or listen to Him. The Spirit is never saying, listen to me or come to me or get to know me. But always look at Him. Look and see His glory. Listen to Him. Hear His word. Go to Him and have life. Go to him and taste his gift of joy and peace. The spirit, we might say, is the matchmaker, the celestial marriage broker, whose role it is to bring us and Christ together and ensure that we stay together. He is the guarantor of our salvation. He is the one who seals us for the day of redemption. It's an awareness of God's love that he gives light in sight to. Secondly, he gives light and sight to the sense of guidance and purpose for your life. Some people might be tempted to understand Christianity as simply an exercise in intellectual activity. Their faith is not a continuance, a continuous dependence on the working of the Holy Spirit. They vainly suppose that their grasp, they can grasp truth by their own efforts and by their own skills. But the Spirit teaches all things and reminds us of what the Son has said. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit ought to make us humble and dependent and God-seeking. Thirdly, it is the power to obey God's commands. He casts light and sight on the power to obey God's commands. Now, there's a lot of different ways you can look at this, but there are these components we've been learning about in 1 John that we have a responsibility to love God and to obey his commands. But it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to be able to do that. If it were up to you and I, on our own, individually, to love God and obey his commands, how do you think you would do? Miserably. I, at least I'll speak for myself. I would do miserably. I do miserably all the time. I thank the Lord from time to time for Oreo cookies. And, um, and I love Oreo cookies. Specifically, I, I like to be able to, to dunk them in milk. And so I, I have a little package of Oreo cookies here that I'm going to eat for a little bit. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to eat these. Uh, but here's the thing. The thing about the Oreo cookie, right, is that you can't really have 
the cookie without the cream inside, right? It really doesn't work. It'll just sort of fall apart. And besides, it is, everybody knows this, right? The icing is the best part of the Oreo cookie, right? And so it's better than just, you know, if you took these apart and you had just the outside cookies, it'd be okay. But it really wouldn't be an Oreo cookie. Jesus says that if we love him and obey his commandments, obedience never, or if we love him, we will obey his commandments, Jesus never produces love, but love will produce obedience. My Oreo is falling apart. But, it, but love is what produces obedience. Love and obedience go together kind of like this Oreo cookie, right? And it is the creamy inside is really like the Holy Spirit. It's what holds these two together. It's what empowers the cookie, right? It does. It does. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. But listen, without the Holy Spirit, we are hollow in our love. And our obedience is faulty without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that holds together and empowers our love and obedience. It is the power with which we are able to know God and to love him. And to walk in obedience. There's a fourth element that he gives light and sight to. And that is the realization that we are united with God the Father in relationship. It is this union with the Father that is found in the Spirit. The, the Spirit of Christ unified in the presence of the Father. And then lastly, he casts light and sight in a way that helps us to recognize and to understand what truth is. It's truth. It's Jesus. How do we know what is true in our lives? How do you know where Jesus is in your life? How do you know where he's leading and guiding and moving us? It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Working together, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody once had an illustration and he was holding up a glass uh, and it was uh, empty, and he asked the people that he was teaching, how can I get air out of the glass? And one man shouted out, well, you just suck it out with a pump. And Moody said, well, that would create a vacuum, and it would shatter the glass. And so there were some other suggestions, but none of the suggestions would really work. And so finally, Moody picked up a pitcher of water, and he filled the glass. And he said, there, now all the air is removed. The main work of the Holy Spirit is to fill us with Christ so that we will have his victory, his righteousness, and his grace filling us and our sin and self driven out. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. That we are filled up and we are poured out into our lives and into our world and then continuously filled again. In the midst of their loneliness, Jesus offers them this great comfort that you will not be alone. And, and it's not just in sort of some vague way, but it is the promise of the Holy Spirit. But the passage continues, and there is a second promise, if you will. There's a, there's a second truth that is given to comfort us in our times of loneliness. And that is the pleasure of the Father's love. The pleasure of the Father's love. Look at verses 19 through 24. It says, yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, 
you also will live. How good is that? In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That should sound familiar, right? He started off this section. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. This is the same idea, just kind of written in inverse. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, and this is not Judas Iscariot who betrayed Christ, but the other Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Right? He's trying to wrap his mind around this. Jesus was a physical representation. He was there. He could be seen by both believers and unbelievers, those who rejected him and those who accepted him. So what does it mean that they're not going to be able to be seen? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. What a powerful section of scripture that we have here, right? This is the pleasure of the father's love. Now listen, we are pleasure people, aren't we? We are constantly seeking pleasure we are looking for the next thing that's going to make us happy. That if we had a better job, a different job, if we had a certain relationship, if we had a certain material item that we could purchase, that then somehow we would be happy. If things would just go a certain way, then we would find pleasure. And marketers know this. They market that if you buy this, then you'll be happy. If you have this, then you're going to have all your hopes and dreams fulfilled. They know that we are pleasure-seeking people. But there's a difference between the world's view of pleasure and God's view of pleasure. And we spend so much time and energy investing in things and even people thinking that somehow that's going to bring us pleasure and that that pleasure is going to somehow vacate the loneliness that we feel. And we put all of our eggs in these things, in these people, in hopes that somehow that will drive the loneliness away. But Jesus says there is a different type of pleasure that is found in the Father's love. And it is eternal, and it is sustaining and gratifying, and it is full of hope. Look at this passage again with me. There are three elements of the Father's love that Jesus touches on here. In 19 and 20, he talks about that you, yet in a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. He's talking about his death and resurrection. It was a prediction of his post-resurrection appearances. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so that believers may be joined with him. We are united to Christ through the Holy Spirit. In the same way that his death and resurrection provides a future hope and salvation for all those who believe by faith, the Holy Spirit also provides a future present dwelling with Christ. Did you catch that? It's a future present dwelling. It is to say that in the future, those who believe in Christ will have a present dwelling in them. It is future present. There is this reality that has existed since the beginning of time, and it is that God has loved you. And in these moments, as he's preparing to go to the cross, and as he's on the cross dying for your sin and my sin, he is exacting his demonstrable love in a profound and spiritual way. From before you were ever born, God has loved you. For all of your life, God has loved you. 
There are some of you that are dragging chains around from your past. You are allowing yourself to be dragged down and and pulled into these pits of loneliness because of shame and guilt. And you need to know that when Christ died for you, he died for all of it. And his forgiveness is for all of it. That he has always loved you in all of your past, in everything that has happened. His love and his forgiveness stands. But it's not just the past. Verses 21 and then jump down to 23 and 24. This is amazing. God is loving you right now. Right now. Now, I wonder how many of you walked in this morning, felt the love of God. Would you say that you feel right now like God is loving you? That you are being loved by God? I think, I think that this is maybe the crux of this, right? This is maybe one of the most important things. If you can walk out with one thing, walk out with this. That God is loving you now. Notice the repeated uses of the word love. If we treasure his word and obey it, then the father and son will share their love with us and make their home in us. Now think about this for a second. Does that mean that if I'm not loving God and that I'm not obeying God, that God ceases to love me? Is that what he's saying? No, he's talking about the manifestation of God's love that we would live in and experience the current love of God in our lives. And so here's the reality, right? This is the truth, is that that God is always, always loving us. That right now, in this moment, he is loving on you. That he is pouring out his love on you. But the problem is, is that sometimes we are not obeying God. We've decided that we're going to do our things our own way. We get into difficult circumstances, and we think that we're going to figure it out, that we're going to sort of muscle through things, that we've got an avenue that's going to solve this problem without God, and we walk away from God. We walk in disobedience. Or maybe it's not even a sin issue. Maybe the issue is, is that we've just stopped loving God. We've become indifferent. We've become apathetic. We've become dismissive of the love of God. That We don't take the time to study his word, to engage with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can experience his love. And when we're walking in disobedience and we're not choosing to love God in our lives, then what happens? We look back and we think, where is God? He's gone. He's absent. He's disappeared. He has abandoned me. But listen, that is not what's happened because it is the power of the Holy Spirit that manifests the truth, which is Jesus Christ, which is the pleasure of the Father's love in our lives always and forever. And so simply put, when we are not experiencing the love of God, when it feels like God is distant, that he's absent, that He has walked away and we're living in this state of loneliness and confusion, it is not because that God has stopped loving us. It is simply because we are not obeying Christ or we are not loving God. Because when we obey and when we love, then the Holy Spirit will make manifest the person of Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ. God is always loving us. And when we love him and when we obey his commands, then we will live the experience of God's love. God will never abandon us, and he will never leave us. 
Our experience with God can go deeper and deeper as we yield to the spirit of truth and allow him to teach us and to guide us. And if we love God and obey him, he will manifest his love to us in a deeper way each day. When we're in these moments of loneliness and we feel like God is not there, if we are in positions like the disciples where we feel like we are, we are about to be on our own, know that as we continue to love God and as we continue to obey his commands, that we will be able to see and to experience what is there, and that is the pouring out of God's love on you and I. What you could probably guess what the next one is, God has loved you, he is loving you now, and of course, God will always love you. Verse 19, because I live, you also will live. Because he loves and because he lives, his love will never end. It is eternal. That God will continue to love you no matter what, into eternity and throughout eternity. For us, we have to lean into our love for God to fully experience all that he's pouring out in our lives. And sometimes that's hard. And, and it can feel forced, right? But, but think about this. How many, how many of you had an experience when you were longer and younger and your family would go on a road trip and you would crawl up into the back, sort of where the back window was, but there would be like a ledge with a seat and you would sprawl out and lay down there, right? Like we, with, when I was little, I remember doing that. Uh, but things have changed, haven't they, Right? Several years ago, you know, now we have, you know, there, were, there didn't used to be laws about child safety seats and automobile restraints. And, and really, tragically, many children uh, who were not safely belted into seats died in car accidents. Today, though, laws prohibit children from riding in a car without seat, uh, a child seat facing the right direction and being properly installed. Even new mothers uh, need to have a seat installed and checked before they're allowed to take their child home from the hospital. Of all the expressions of human love, there's possibly no more pure and beautiful love than that of a parent for a child. Yet when a child's safety is at stake, it seems that a parent's love is not always enough. Parents did not always do what was best for their children. Many parents needed a law or a boundary to ensure that their love for their children did not fall short of perfect love. God knows that the same is true of our love and devotion toward him and other people. He knows our feelings are not enough. We needed laws and boundaries in the form of commands to aid us in loving him and other people fully. It's part of how God works for us. I love this. Charles Spurgeon, he said this. He said, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. And I think that's what we're talking about. It, it, it's not just about going to heaven, but it's about understanding that the power of the Holy Spirit unleashes this love of the Father that drives out all of the needs that we have in our lives. Well, that leads us to the third and final, and this is, this is quick, um, but this is the third and final part of the passage because this is gonna get developed out more in the next week that we back, you know, when we're back into John in October, it'll get developed out a little bit more. But not only does he provide comfort in our loneliness, 
through the promise of the Holy Spirit and through the pleasure of the Father's love, but also through the gift, the present of, the, of peace. He gives us a gift, and it's a present of peace. Look at verses 25 through 31. It said, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Notice this, right? Who is he sending? The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And then what does he say in verse 27? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The Holy Spirit is peace. You heard me say, verse 28, to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Sounds like First John, right? I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father Rise and let us go from here. Sounds like assurance and certainty, right? First John. But he gives us peace. See, peace is what we're looking for in the midst of our loneliness. But the way that we get to peace is through the Holy Spirit. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that makes manifest, that makes known the love of the Father. Peace comes from the teaching and the remembering of God's word. And notice in here that he says that the world's peace, what the world gives you is different than what he gives you. The world's view of peace is thin and temporary. The world says you want peace? You're looking for personal enjoyment without demands, pleasure, no stress, for all your needs to be met, financial security, no pain, no conflict. That's the world's definition of peace. It's circumstantial oriented, right? But what do we know about these things? These things are not true. They're all temporary. You can find facets and sections in your life where maybe some of these things are true, but at some point in time, all of us will face pain and conflict, financial issues, stress, demands of life. It is fleeting and thin. But the Bible's view of peace is significant and full of hope. The Bible's view of peace is a certainty of eternal life. It is a confidence in God's greater plan. It is a hope in the midst of conflict or difficulty. And when we navigate through loneliness, acknowledging the certainty of our eternal life, the confidence of God's plan, and the hope that we have in the midst of conflict or adversity, then we can stand strong. It doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that we don't sit in that loneliness, but it means that we move through it with the power of the Holy Spirit and in the pleasure of the Father's love. Remember Linda and her long life list of goodbyes? Life for her had been all about separation, and the hardest, of course, was the death of her husband. Before he succumbed to Lou Gehrig's disease, there was a lengthy period of illness, a very long goodbye. But during that time, something changed Linda. She saw the grace and peace written across his face in his little notes and gestures after he lost his ability to speak. Linda knew that God was the source of his courage and joy in the face of death. 
I like this. Linda says this. She says, today I walk in deep sorrow and loneliness. Right? She acknowledges it. It's not like, oh, I'm a Christian. Everything is fine. She walks in the deep sorrow and loneliness, but she says this. However, I don't journey alone. My Savior walks with me, surrounding me with eternal love. Soon, my life's road will make the final bend homeward, and I'll see my husband and my Lord face to face. Praise God. So this morning, for each of us, I would ask, you know, can you find God's love? Can you find pleasure in God's love? Can you find God in the maze of lonely and confusing feelings? Can you grasp that he may be preparing you for a fresh life, for a fresh hope, that he will never leave you and never forsake you, that he has always loved you, he will always love you in the future, and he is loving you now. And as you lean into him and walk in his love and walk in his obedience, you will see, you will experience, you will feel the transformation of the power of the Holy Spirit exercising peace in your life as you know him in deeper ways. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for your spirit that has been sent to those who have trusted you as our personal savior. God, we thank you for the power that you give to live in our lives. And specifically, God, we thank you for the spirit that reveals you to us, that reveals your great wonder and your great work and your great love. And God, I, I, I wonder if maybe this morning there are some who are here today that are feeling like God has shut the door that God is abandoned, that God is distant and absent with the things that they're going through. And so God, I just pray that you would give us the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, to lean in and to love you and to follow you and to obey your word. And God, in that, to have your love and your grace and your peace revealed to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.